0: Good morning. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. My name is Lori Atkins. I'm filling in for Dr. Tim Jennings. I am rounding out the common reason ladies' substitute teaching lineup. <laughs> so, thank you, Linda and Eve, for filling in the past two weeks and for demonstrating that this class can be a discussion group. There can be lots of participation. So, I'm happy to see. So many faces today on a on a holiday weekend. So be prepared. I'll be facilitating a discussion. I will not be lecturing. Let's start class with prayer today. Father God, it has been a week, and we are so grateful uh, for this day, this sign that you have woven right into time to show us the kind of God you are, and how much you value our freedom. Um, We want to invite you here today. We want you here. We've come expecting you. Uh, So dwell among us. Uh, Open our hearts and minds. Teach us to really know you. Teach us how to love like you do. Um, And we will give you the praise. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, today we're studying lesson 12, in our quarterly Ephesians, the title of the lesson is The Call to Stand. The memory text is from Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What is armor? Protection.
1: protection? I mean, protection. I mean, it's a real armor, is it? Right. During war.
0: So why do we need it?
1: Because we're in a war. <laughs> Satan's got to guess. <laughs>
0: Has anybody here served in the military? Okay, we've got some veterans. Anybody actually been deployed in combat? If you're in combat, I'm guessing that your view and perspective of armor is even... Different or more more precise. The dictionary definition says armor is a noun that means any covering worn as a defense against weapons and it lists these related or synonym words: a shield, defense, guard, protection, security. Now why in the world would Paul think? We need a defense against weapons or a shield or protection in the spiritual realm. Tina has already broached the subject. (laughs) Is there something else going on? Something behind the scenes that maybe we need to be aware of? Dangers, threats.
1: There's definitely a war to occupy our minds. That's what Satan wants to do. Right. So the we to protect that part is by having a knowledge of God, and scriptures, and what we are
0: in store for. It's true. So think about Bible texts. Are there any supporting scriptures that would help us determine why Paul believes we need to gird ourselves, not just with a single piece or a couple of them, the whole armor of God? Yes.
2: Well, the Bible talks about the fiery darts of the devil, And I think he works in so many ways. Absolutely. Through circumstances, through people, through um, what might even look like a coincidence where he's lined things up to make our lives as miserable as possible.
0: And don't you think he tailors that combination to each individual with what will work the best for them? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go through a couple of texts or scriptures that I think illustrate the fact that Tina's correct. There's something going on behind the scenes where we are targeted. We're under attack and there is a battle going on. So think about the first chapter of Job. Remember what it says there, where there, there was a council in heaven, the sons of God were called together and Satan presents himself before that heavily, heavenly council, which revealed that the sin problem It's far larger than this universe. It's far larger than the earth, than humanity alone. I guess it is universal. It is not focused just on this planet. Um, There's a text in Colossians that says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, I mean, heaven is where God dwells. Why would things in heaven need to be reconciled to him?
2: Where the war started.
0: It is where the war started.
2: Because
1: God still has to show the angels that He is a God of love, that He Did send Jesus to rescue
0: us. Right. That Satan was the one that started it all. And he has to close it off. He has to finish it off. So there is peace. And there were questions. Even if, even the angels, I I believe, that did not join up with Satan and be cast out of heaven. They still had questions. They had doubts. Because Lucifer was a trusted friend. He made allegations Like I said, that even if they didn't buy into, they still wondered if he was right, if if what he was saying was true. And from what Mrs. White tells us, it wasn't until the cross that all of those questions were answered and that the rest of the known universe other than us were so settled into the truth that they could not be moved.
1: And Satan was no longer allowed back in heaven.
0: That's correct. He wasn't allowed anywhere but here not because somebody is forcefully keeping him out but because we are the only silly place that still gives credence to anything he says or are willing to listen um okay. okay more stories what about do you remember the story about Elisha's servant this is in or from where Second Kings. So Elisha's servant stumbles out of his tent one morning, still bleary-eyed, which already makes me identify with him. Uh, he sees an alarming sight. There's a well-equipped hostile army, troops, horses, chariots everywhere. So he runs to Elisha and he stammers out, Oh sir, what will we do now? Elisha responds, "Don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs." This response fails to register in the face of the servant. Elisha pulls him close and prays for him. "O oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see." The prophet's prayer is answered immediately. The servant steps to the ramparts again, but this time the veil between the seen and the unseen lifts. And he now sees not one army, but two. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You think we need to pray that the Lord will open our eyes sometimes, that the veil between the seen and the unseen might be lifted? Listen to what Mrs. White says on this subject. That time will soon come that we shall have to keep hold of the strong arm of Jehovah, for all these great signs and mighty wonders of the devil are designed to deceive God's people and overthrow them. Our minds must be stayed upon God, and we must not fear the fear of the wicked, that is, fear what they fear and reverence what they reverence. But be bold and valiant for the truth. Could our eyes be opened, we should see forms of evil angels around us trying to invent some new way to annoy and destroy us. And we should also see angels of God guarding us from their power, for God's watchful eye is ever over Israel for good. And he will protect and save his people if they put their trust in him. When the enemy shall come, in like a flood the spirit of the lord will lift up a standard against him do you feel the evil angels around you trying to invent some new way to annoy and destroy you frequently yeah oh that that our eyes would be opened and the veil would be lifted and we see the angels of god guarding us from their power That's a promise. What about the very next verse in our memory text? If we read on to verse 12, put on the armor of God that God gives you so that you will be able to stand up against the devil's evil tricks. For we are not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this dark age. Sure sounds like we're in a fight. We're in a battle. We're in a war. We need some protective armor. What about this text in Revelation? It doesn't say it any more plain than this. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. One of the founders of our church agreed when she wrote, This God assembled the angelic host to take measures to avert the threatened evil. It was decided in heaven's council for angels to visit Eden and warn Adam that he was in danger from the foe. Two angels sped on their way to visit our first parents. The holy pair received them with joyful innocence, expressing their grateful thanks to their creator for thus surrounding them with such a profusion of his bounty. Everything lovely and attractive was theirs to enjoy, and everything seemed wisely adapted to their wants. And that which they prized above all other blessings was the society of the Son of God and the heavenly angels." For they had much to relate to them at every visit of their new discoveries of the beauties of nature in their lovely Eden home. And they had many questions to ask relative to many things which they could but indistinctly comprehend. Can you imagine this? These new people in this delicious Garden of Eden, everything they could ever want. They're adults, but characterologically and experientially, they're children. And they, they value nothing more than the society of the Son of God and the heavenly angels, which means he came. They came and dwelt among them. They walked with them in the cool of the evening, and they got to converse with them and ask all their questions, how all of this came, how they came to be. I can't imagine that. The angels graciously and lovingly gave them the information they desired, they also gave them the sad history of Satan's rebellion and fall. They then distinctly informed them that the tree of knowledge was placed in the garden to be a pledge of their obedience and love to God, that the high and happy estate of the holy angels was to be retained upon condition of obedience, that they were similarly situated, that they could obey the law of God and be inexpressibly happy, or disobey, and lose their high estate, and be plunged into hopeless despair. Let's let's look at this a little bit, because, again, my upbringing, my childhood, I was taught that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the garden as an arbitrary test of obedience. We'll get into that a little bit more later. So it says, It was to be a pledge of their obedience and love to God, and they equated that the holy angels, the happy estate of the holy angels, could only be retained upon the condition of obedience to the law of God. What's the question that we ask here? What law lens are we looking at? And you remember, uh, there's another quote from her where the angels looked around and asked each other, "What law? Yeah. We we didn't know there was a law." And again, the only type of law you can be required to obey without having been explicitly told about it is a design law. It's inherent in the design. It's not arbitrary. It's not externally uh, enacted or imposed. So when the angels were telling them that this condition, this good that they knew right now was conditioned upon obedience, it's because our lives were designed to operate in harmony with God's law. And any deviations from that law result in pain and death. And the tree and the request for trust about the fruit, it was a physical manifestation of that design law. And a request, do you trust me? Do you trust God? Okay. Okay. Let's let's go back to the quote, because there's more. They told Adam and Eve that God would not compel them to obey, that he had not removed from them power to go contrary to his will, that they were moral agents, free to obey or disobey. Because you know if you're not free to disobey, to reject, then you're not really free at all. Which means there's no love. There was but one prohibition that God had seen fit to lay upon them as yet. If they should tra- transgress the will of God, they would surely die. <laughs> Is that because God would kill them? No. Help me out here. No. It's because they had deviated from the law upon which life was built to operate. That's a natural consequence. That only alternative, if you reject life, is death. They told Adam and Eve that the most exalted angel, next in order to Christ, refused obedience to the law of God, which he had ordained to govern heavenly beings, that this rebellion had caused war in heaven, which resulted in the rebellious being be expelled therefrom. And every angel was driven out of heaven who united with him in questioning the authority of the great Jehovah, and that this fallen bow was now an enemy to all that concerned the interest of God or his dear son. That's, again, not just humans. He was an enemy universally to anyone concerned with the interest of God. Okay. Okay. I'm going to veer off on a small tangent. It won't be the last one. Just FYI. Okay, so if Adam and Eve were not to know evil, then why in the world did God and the angels educate them about the rebellion, the war in heaven, and evil? How do you know they didn't educate them? No, why did they? If, they want, if he did not want his children to know evil, he only wanted them to know good, then...
1: He was forewarning them what was going to happen. If they had no knowledge of that possibility, they would have... Who knows what they would have done but I'm saying. Right. He would have forewarned them that that was the
0: possibility. And in the Bible, what does the term knowing mean?
3: And
0: right, It's not just cognitive awareness. It's not just comprehension or factual understanding. Biblical knowing is when something becomes part of your experience. It's knowing intimately through experience, not through mere information. It's not knowing about something or someone, but actually knowing them. I think about these differences... Is there a difference between knowing about swimming, the mechanics, the strokes, buoyancy rates, water temperatures, versus knowing how to swim? Is there a difference between knowing the fact that chocolate and vanilla are different ice cream flavors and knowing the deliciousness of what they actually taste like? There's a difference between knowing about a famous celebrity or politician and knowing them personally as friends there's a difference between knowing about god and knowing god intimately and experientially the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't a place of theoretical knowledge cognitive knowledge or academic knowledge God and the angels had already informed Adam and Eve about Satan, about evil, and about death being the result of sin. The two had already been instructed. They had all the information and facts that they needed. But having mere facts is not what the tree was about. It was about experience, knowing by experience either good or evil. Choose to trust, believe God, and know good, or choose to believe lies, distrust God, and know evil. God told them, "'It is at this tree you will have knowledge, so choose well. Choose to trust me and not to partake of the fruit, and you will know good. You will know love, trust, loyalty, devotion, maturity, integrity, joy, peace, and godliness.'" All of this will solidify in your character, so please, my precious children, choose to know good. But if you choose to believe lies, distrust me, and partake of the fruit, you will know evil. You will know fear, selfishness, insecurity, guilt, shame, distrust, pain, suffering, and death. Please, my precious children, don't choose to know evil. God already knew evil. Not in his character, but in his heart. His heavenly home had been fractured. He had experienced evil. He knew it. He was already suffering the heartache of betrayal, disaffection, rebellion, being lied about, and the loss of many of his beloved angels. God did not want humankind to know this kind of pain and suffering or heartache. He wanted humankind to know only good, but this required them to choose to trust God to choose the good in order for them to know it. So God warned them and placed this tree there for their development as free, sentient beings and his goal for them to choose to know good and solidify themselves in loyalty and love to him and develop their own mature, godlike character and then have beings in their image. Unfortunately, They chose to know evil, and humanity was plunged into pain, suffering, and death. And Jesus stepped in to take on this terrible terminal condition and overcome it and restore the human species back to God's perfection, eradicating the death-causing principles and writing God's law of love, the life-causing protocols, back into humanity, thus becoming our Savior.
1: Could the tree then be considered a character
2: development
0: tool? I definitely think it could be, and hold that thought. (laughs) What was the purpose of placing this tree in the garden? (laughs) It was for their development and maturity of character. I have another historic quote. God might have created man without the power to transgress his law. Which law? He might have withheld the hand of Adam from touching the forbidden fruit, but in that case, man would have been not a free moral agent, but a mere automaton, which is a robot, a non-thinking machine. Without freedom of choice, His obedience would not have been voluntary, but forced. There could have been no development of character. It would have been unworthy of man as an intelligent being and would have sustained Satan's charge of God's arbitrary rule. Is this what you were taught about the tree, the reason for the tree in the garden, what its purpose was? My church, my own church school, taught me that it was an arbitrary test of obedience. That it was taunting a gotcha opportunity. Yet the very founder of that church says that not having the tree there or intervening to stop them from touching the forbidden fruit is what would have been arbitrary. That not giving them the choice to either trust God and perfect their characters or believe the lie and corrupt their characters would have been unworthy of God's highest, most intelligent creation and would have provided evidence to the onlooking universe that Satan's allegations against God were true. It's nice to see
4: a validation of God's love and how much He wants us to be with Him. Right. Trust Him.
0: Wants us to be with Him and wants to be with us. And that, I mean, when, when I was writing this, I thought about what, what I've learned in this class, particularly with the integrative evidence-based approach, where, where I'm comparing science and nature, scripture, my experiences, what I've been taught, what I've learned. And when I have things and concepts that come up against or contradict what I've known in my experience, what scripture tells me, what I see in nature. I don't see in any of those three a God who would set up an opportunity for me to mess up, to catch me. I don't see that anywhere. So when, when those beliefs come up or when those contradictions come up, And everything that I know or that I've been taught contradicts what I see in those uh, threads of evidence. I have to question my beliefs because they're not matching up. Something's telling me something's wrong. This does not match the character of the God I see in scripture, I see in nature, and I see in my experience with Him. So, I mean, it is a process, it's a struggle. I know everybody sitting in here has, has been confronted with cognitive dissonance and had a bunch of things that they either were sure were true or at least is the only thing they've heard that they've had to unlearn and, and come to terms with error. Um, which, praise God, that, that we see an alternate view. And that our brains are fearfully and wonderfully made enough to unlearn and relearn. And uh, neuroplasticity allows different pathways to be forged and deepen. Thank goodness. Yes. i also like to think that, you know, rather than casting, uh, uh, not that you're doing that, but casting a... Negativity on my upbringing, sure, because I think my parents and my, you know, church was doing what they understood, what they understood. But we can praise God that He's continually pulling back the the veil, the veil, and giving us light
1: that we can. That makes sense.
0: Yes, thank you for for bringing that up. That is not my intent. I don't want to cast any dispersions. I had well-meaning, well-intentioned, <laughs> loving. Christian folks uh, bringing me up and in my education. Um, as Mrs. White says, there's, there's constantly new light on old truths. So the truths have never changed, but the light and how we view them is constantly changing, and I think it will through eternity, where we will constantly be saying, Oh, I was wrong about that. Gotta unlearn that, Eve. <laughs> and, you know,
3: I. Along those same lines, um, you know, I can think back on my own journey when I was, you know, firmly believing something else that I now know to be a lie. Right. And yet God was still in my life. He was still
0: working, working, wooing. And, and sometimes we have a tendency to
3: think, you know, almost like an us versus them mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's not the case. It's not at all. Has has people in all of the camps. Um, it's just, it, do you love the truth? Do you, are you open to continuing to grow? And you know, he, he'll, he'll keep bringing you forward. Absolutely. More and more
0: truth. And everybody at a different pace. Yes. Um, and I think what I've come to realize, for me, I used to equate the term being sealed, being so settled into the truth that you cannot be moved, I took that to be true for every single belief, every single doctrine that I bet, because again, I was brought up, if you have the truth, then there's no reason to look anywhere else or for anything else. So, I have come, I think, to realize that the things that we are settled into about God, His character, His principles, His methods, the way He works, the way He governs, Those are kind of universal principles that we cannot be moved about. The specific details, tenets, beliefs, doctrines, practices. Again, this class has taught me, I don't don't think I will ever put a stake in the sand again because I've been proven wrong too many times. And it's okay. Prove me wrong. Show me more truth. Show me the error of my ways. Give me something better. I'm all for it.
3: And I think that's that's one of the things, you know, the love for the truth. That is one of the things that we, you know, you can put that stake in the sand. Correct. Because you love the truth, and that means you'll continue to grow.
0: Absolutely. I I do, and I think that's, that's a hard attitude. And for me, in my life, Tim says, you cannot avoid the truth. You can only delay the day that you deal with it. Um so this this desire, this pursuit of truth is not always pleasant. There's things that you find out are true that you would maybe think you would rather not know. But looking back, it's better to know and it's better to know sooner. But for me, that requires some supernatural help because denial is not just a river in Egypt. It's a, it's a comfort zone. Yes?
5: Um, my grandfather, 40 something years ago, exposed me to this truth from a book, Behold Your God, that I dearly love. Nice. I couldn't quite accept it then, but after studying the last few years, I really embrace it more than ever. But I just wanted y'all to them, remember Tom McFarland's class over college community church this this whole topic we talked about here is really bring brought to the forefront nice in our church over there and uh i need prayer there was a lot of controversy there last yes. week i went to the class and some of the church staff have talked to them they're going to let them continue to teach the class but uh i couldn't take it the argument it was too stressful. So, I might go back in a month or two and try to support them. Yeah. If it's, it's interested, they could use some support over there. That's all. Thank you.
1: For sure. In comment to what he's saying, my brother goes to that Sabbath school class too. Years ago, he had gone on a ski trip with the college, and he ended up in a condominium sharing with Tim and Christy and Cyril. Uh huh. And he came away with a bad taste in his mouth about things. So, when we moved here and we started coming to this class years ago, we said, We're going to a new class at Tim Jennings. Tim Jennings, are you serious? Yeah, why would you go to his class? Well, it's really good It's open our eyes to a lot of things, you know. He was adamantly opposed, he would not listen to anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, while his father was in the process of dying, Don's father, I put the book, Could It Really Be That Simple, mm-hmm. at his bedside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, my brother was in there spending time and he read that book through. Wow. And he came out and he said,
0: wow. That's a wow. It's
1: a, he listens to him online every week. Mm-hmm. He sends his notes to different people that he, nice, knows. all of his books he has gotten. And he is so on fire for this. He's in that class
5: Mm-kay.
1: and he's having a hard time with it because Tom, there are, Tom's our brother-in-law and Tom, his wife listened to this class uh-huh. to him, and he leaves it. All yeah. day, and he was looking for a way to present it mm-hmm. to that church because they haven't been receptive. Right. This class is half and half. Mm-hmm. Some believe it, some don't, and there is confusion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we need to pray for this class mm-hmm. because a lot of the people are like, this is new to them. For sure. And yeah. that's what I believe. I believe this message that Tim is presenting in this class, whatever, is an end time message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has mm-hmm. come
0: No doubt in my life. mind.
1: If for no other reason than to attract people that stopped coming to our church because they did not believe that God was a God of love, mm-hmm. and now they see the truth about God, and I think it's opening eyes to people that in the past would have never accepted it.
0: This is my story. Yes. This is Russell's story. If
1: they need it today. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's for such a time as this. Yes. I, I don't have any yes. doubt. Yes.
4: So
2: this, this is trying to be presented in Tom's class, but they're not mentioning sure. any names. They're just trying to present this truth in love and then leaving everybody free. So, Amen. So I don't know how many read Tim's blog this week, but it was very good. Very
0: good. contrast
2: between God and Satan. Yeah. And everybody teaches God is love. Well, let's find out what that love is and
0: what it looks like, yeah.
1: Right, but we have to remember too with this class it's mainly elderly people, sure. They've been raised in the church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know, and a lot of people feel that this is going contrary to what our church believes, uh, yeah.
0: and, and it is in many ways,
1: yes. And they're like, You can't continue to be a part of the church and present this message,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so they're having right. a difficult time with that right now.
0: Well, we're in we're in this building for a reason.
5: <laughs> I'm liking it for the 1888 move, movement on mm-hmm. uh, righteousness. Very the, much so. A lot of the mm-hmm. church rejected that message just like they are today. But that was a life or a day. I heard we could have been in the kingdom if we would have accepted that right. message. And I think these are both Correct. unlike messages.
0: Correct. And I think they both uh, hinge on the view of God's law mm-hmm. what it is, how it functions, mm-hmm. uh, and how it how it operates, is it inherent in the design, or are they rules that must be kept and policed and require external enforcement? Is there more comment? Yes. I
2: thank God for the freedom of choice.
0: Yes, I thank absolutely.
2: I for that he give us our uh, brains <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and to share with one another. And uh, we have a friend, a famous painter, who lives in Mexico now, but is well-known, Alfred Lee, he put it this way. He says that God put, it's, a, it's like, uh, he pictures like a puzzle and he puts it on a table and he says, okay, children, I'll give you a brand, put it together. That's right. Mm-hmm. And we can see that oh, everyone sees cool. the pieces mm-hmm. and God says,
0: Everyone, not just the people around the table, everyone.
2: Oh, I love that. And so, mm-hmm. you may have a piece, others have other ones and he says, I want to demonstrate the kingdom of God here on earth right Amen. People that will be happy, healthy and prosperous, a religion that was that Francis Weller put it this way, put it this way. He said unless religion is defined in terms of conduct, the holy thing becomes a mockery. Yeah And so the world is looking who are we? Yeah mm-hmm. right well, How are these people that are coming from different backgrounds? Mm-hmm. Are going to demonstrate the kingdom of God and say, "I want to be part of this
0: group," which is what's so interesting. And I do, I totally agree with you. And I think that some of these events, these last day events, whether it's the four angels losing their grip or some of the bowls and trumpets and things like that, I think they are happening to call attention. Like you said, the world is looking, watching. They're looking for something. They're looking for answers, and they're watching how are these people different? Yeah. They're supposed to be different. It's supposed to be life-changing mm-hmm. if, you, if you have God in your heart. Yeah. And you look at COVID, and you look at what an opportunity that was yeah. to show mm-hmm. so many things that are different. Mm-hmm. The love for freedom, the love for truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know that that's a test we failed and again maybe that's maybe that's foretelling that it's it was always intended to fail the organizations the institutions the denominations were never going to be what stood up and showed the character of god it's going to be people it's going to be individuals who are united in heart mind and character that is the church
5: do you understand the organized church
0: may fall in the very end? May? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've heard it. It seems more sure to me than might. It seems inevitable. I appreciate your comments, and it's It's why I talked at the beginning about the the membership opportunities on our website and the the group in Dallas. What you're describing just up the hill at Collegeville Community Church is happening all over the United States. And all over the globe, where we have individuals, very small groups, who watch these classes, have the quarterly, take the notes that are published every week, and they immerse themselves into their own local church churches, whether it's as Sabbath school teachers, lay ministers, tons of... It's, Tons of opportunities in their local church to, to try to spread this view of God. Like you said, with, with no names, with no references maybe, just concepts, just to tweak, to cause some cognitive dissonance, to cause some questions. Because sometimes that's all it takes. It, all it took with me was just a... Anyway, so we, we include those folks in our prayers every week uh, because really some of them do feel very alone a lot of them have been ostracized they may have lost their church family Um, there is there is some pretty controversial negative reaction to this view of God which is just mind-boggling to me
2: you
1: have to remember Satan doesn't know what's going to happen he doesn't know the future. Right. When I think of COVID myself, I think of how he must have been so happy that he fooled even our church. Yes. You know, that, to me, that was a test for us.
0: The ones with the religious liberty department.
1: It's, it's yeah. like, say, yeah. like, oh, right. right. They failed in that. Man, you know, maybe the next.
0: And week, it was so easy. Yeah. We didn't even have to fight. No, but it's going to get worse. For for sure.
5: Why do people want to reject this message? It's such a warm, encouraging, loving message. I know. Oh, bring it on. I mean, it's it's exciting.
1: Because it's different. It's different. Because it's something we've grown up with this message. Yeah. You know? And it's like, it was very hard for me to accept. Yeah. It really was. And... But I see the
0: freedom in it. Yes, you
5: must yes. be one of them. Thank God, more even.
0: But for see, sure.
1: But I still question a lot of things. It's like it's <coughs> not what I was taught. And then when I discuss it, like with my mom and stuff, it's like, now Tina, think about this for a minute. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but mom, when you really understand it, it makes more sense than anything yeah. has.
0: And again, think about we were told that we have the truth, and that there were going to be people that come along and try to sway us. So we were taught to listen to nothing other than what we already had, because it's the truth. So, I mean, Tim has talked about the reasons for, for the rejection, and there are many and involved. If we think about the seven levels of moral decision-making, Kohlberg's hierarchy, if you're at a level four and comfortable with law and order, To abandon God's law as an imposed law with imposed punishments, you don't want any part of that. That's holding your whole structure, your whole paradigm together, is the fact that God is going to punish the wicked in the end. So, not to mention, maybe you were involved in writing the textbooks and putting your stake in the ground, and you you have much invested in this point of view, or you've preached for 20, 30 years. Yeah, he's going to burn
1: them alive. He's not just going to punch them, he's going to burn them alive and make them suffer for all their sins. <laughs> and that's
0: horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> yes? I just want to re- uh, reiterate
4: what Eve mentioned about it's a process for everyone. And I know it's been, even my husband and I have had a different process of learning about and understanding, and we're still in the process. And I think totally. I'm reminded of the Holy Spirit, and we have Saul to Paul. And so, um, I so thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit, because it look Saul to Paul, yes. how, how much change went there. so. I pray for the Holy Spirit, and we're all, and it's a process for everyone. And how can we support, encourage, and
0: and just share a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely, and pray that that we have the words or the insights that somebody who is open to it that it's gonna that it's gonna tweak their thinking. Yes, yes.
6: That's a phrase in public media and a, and a show that just recently finished that became very popular is the truth will set you free. But first, it may, in my edit, tick you off. Okay? (laughs) These different phraseology. But the other aspect of that, uh, because this is what I also found in myself, is whatever reaction is going on, pause and ask whether it is based in fear or pain. Mm -hmm. Fear and pain gone sideways. Right. Can... Tim talks about having that wound... Someone doesn't know your or under have the wound, and they touch on it. And mm-hmm. the, the response seems
0: uh, disproportionate. Yeah,
6: disproportionate to to the action. Um, so for for anyone uh, who, like myself, may have uh, in their early exposures, um, as it challenges internal beliefs, um, to to lean into having those personal conversations with the Heavenly father and digging deep as as right. so. Every week encouraged to, to study on our own. Um, and God will bring you to that truth, and the, that brings the joy
0: that
6: yeah. have you the i lifted up with all. That's God.
0: Agreed. Okay, so I have another tangent, basically a tangent within a tangent. And I'm trying to decide if we want to stay in this tangent or if we want to head back to the cosmic war. I'll just go over it really, really quickly. I had just a very familiar verse in Isaiah, usually read at Christmas time For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you think about what these names mean to you and what they say about the divinity of Jesus. And the unity of the Trinity. What is the idea in the context of the fact that we've established we're in a war, in a battle for our hearts and minds, that we're trying to ward off the arrows of the evil one? What is the idea of the Prince of Peace and his government and peace mean to you?
4: Don't forget mighty,
0: either. Correct. Do we need more peace in the world today? In a church? <laughs> Do we need a kingdom of the Prince of Peace? And is peace situational or is it a person? Is it a state of mind, a state of being? How does one achieve peace?
2: I'm no letting go. Peace is a gift of God.
0: It's a gift that he gave us. Can we achieve peace through war? No, Isn't that what we do or try to do here on earth? Yeah. The, but the Bible says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back.
1: you got to understand what that war is and how it's fought.
0: Right. How it...
1: When Satan has tempted me in something and I passed it, I feel at peace. Yes. So I think there is peace in some types of war like that. Mm-hmm. When you Agreed. Come something and she, <coughs> she feel a peace.
0: Yes.
4: And I think of also what the terminology for human, when we think of war, and think of what Lucifer was doing in heaven, now Satan, mm-hmm. was I believe verbal, insinuating, asking questions, Yes. Uh, I think war of words, war of
0: thought. Ideas, of words, concepts, words. yes.
4: Um, and so I think so often we put on our human
0: yes. definition of war. with military language, weapons and armor and things like that. So again, I think this comes back to what law lens are we understanding this through? If we understand law and government and war to be like human governments, where law is imposed, injustice must be impu- must be punished, war is won through conquest, through battles, through force and might, power over, even through killing one's enemies and forcing submission. But if we understand design law, then we understand that peace is only achieved. By destroying the elements that cause the division and hostility. How do we do that? What is the only way to destroy the elements that cause division and hostility? We destroy lies, fear, and selfishness out of the hearts of intelligent beings. Thus the Bible says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does side note next week's lesson is called waging peace instead of waging war so that should be interesting the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ what kind of weapons do we use what demolishes lies about God and wins hearts to love and trust? love. Yeah, you cannot win hearts by force and violence. The law of liberty prevents it. Only the truth about God's character of love, his design laws, and his methods can demolish the lies and win hearts to love and trust. Let's see what we can do in the last four minutes. I have talk here about a Greek word polemos, which we've talked about in this class, that means a controversial argument, one against some opinion doctrine, etc., as we talked about, the fact that our warfare metaphor and all this military language is not literal. And I have a note in here that corresponds with Tim's blog this week that's contrasting I don't know, maybe 20 or more, just the methods, operations, attributes, tactics of how God functions with a direct opposing view of how Satan functions, and it's really enlightening. God fights the war with the weapons of truth, love, freedom, evidence, not declaration, revelation, Satan fights with lies, deception, flattery, coercion, manipulation, propaganda, and violence. Remember, we can never achieve peace using Satan's methods. Never. Okay, we're back. I told you I wouldn't get lost on our tangents, but we're also almost out of time. So you know what I'm going to do? I have I have a quote um, that I was going to conclude with. It's a bit and it's unpacked, but it's really good. I don't know if Dean has this one. It's at the very end. Satan has come down with great power to work with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish. The powers of deception are working upon minds in every country to gain a foothold. Satan is seeking to hedge up our way in this country. You know what hedge up our way means? It means to restrict our liberties. Maybe closing churches, restricting visitation, closing schools, interfering with free assembly, free speech, censoring ideas. Anything of any of that familiar? The night of trial, the night of weeping, the night of persecution for truth's sake is not far distant. It is through much tribulation that we shall stand as faithful sentinels for God, not swerving one hair from truth and righteousness. Famines will increase. Pestilences will sweep away thousands. Dangers are all around us from the powers without and satanic workings within. But the restraining power of God is now being exercised. The restraining of power of God was being exercised in 1897, and it is still being exercised. 1897 is the date of this this writing. The four winds are loosening. Satan's powers are gaining greater freedom to act. Can you recognize this? The church militant is not the church triumphant. We are enjoined. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. She goes on with our memory verse. The night of trial is nearly spent. Satan is bringing in his masterly power because he knows that his time is short. Are you encouraged by that? That this is nearing its conclusion? The chastisement of God is upon the world to call all who know the truth to hide in the cleft of the rock and view the glory of God. What is the chastisement of God? Satan's lies. Isn't it God letting go of his protection and allowing more of the disasters and the evil to occur? So that people who have not yet hardened their hearts against God can see the difference between the methods of God and the methods of Satan. God's people, those who love truth, love, and liberty, who do their own thinking to present them God, themselves to God as living sacrifices, they will not conform to the worldly methods of lies, coercion, control, and blind submission. We will speak the truth in love and leave others free. Back to the quote, she says, "The truth must not be muffled now. Plain statements must be made. Unvarnished truth must be spoken in leaflets and pamphlets, and these must be scattered like the leaves of autumn." That's us. That's us. So with that note, take some pamphlets and leaflets when you leave. Remember next week two classes back-to-back, then potluck, no class here on September 16. Thank you for participating. Let's close with prayer. Father, uh, we're so grateful for this view of you, for the truth about your character and how it transforms our minds and even our long-held unbelief or misbelief. Uh, We just pray that you would keep us hungry for truth with open hearts and minds to constantly view you in new light. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.